We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. Our individual grocery items are not priced uh, cheaply, and yet our customers save money using hunger. And there's two things they point to. Number one, they're not wasting food anymore. Uh, and number two, they're not impulse purchasing. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Ben McKean is the founder of Hungry Root, an online grocery retailer that has changed the way millions of Americans cook dinner and lunch and breakfast and learn to love plant-based cookie dough, which I myself love tremendously. On this episode, Ben shares his journey to launching Hungry Root, and we dig into how the modern grocery store is quite broken. We also talk about what it's like running his company for nearly a decade. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ben McCain, welcome to Taste. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. I I think Dan Fromer introduced us, and he knew how much of a fan I was of Hungary, and I've been a longtime subscriber before the pandemic. So he made that cool introduction. So thanks, Dan. It's nice to nice to have you in, and, and I want to hear about Hungary. I think I think you're doing some cool shit, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you being a subscriber for over three years. That's really incredible to hear. It's always great to meet in person a long term customer. Yeah, and and I think in terms of what we do here at Taste, it's relevant. And you know, when we launched Taste in 2017, I wrote a uh, editor's note about cooking, and at the time, um, you know, I was I was talking to the guys at, at Blue Apron a lot, at Matt Wadiak there, and I think we had him on uh, we had him on the pages of Taste, but like. I like uh, subscription subscription boxes in the model, and we'll get into how you structure your company, which is unique. But for me, it just helps people cook more. And to me, and we publish cookbooks, um, it takes a lot of the friction out of getting ingredients in your kitchen and into the wok saucepan, saute pan. Uh, so, Ben, just tell me right from the jump. Um, I'd love to get a sense of what you saw um, before Hungry Root and now, like, how did you um, negotiate the world of home cooking when you launched? Yeah, wow. So things have changed tremendously over the eight years yeah. uh, since I started the company. So what attracted me to Hungry Root initially is the concept that food is deeply personal and deeply emotional. And yet the big food companies don't sell directly to the consumers that actually put the food in their body they sell to grocery stores who then resell their food products. And so that to me was the broken element of the food system. In a world where the food you put into your body, it impacts you on so many different dimensions. It impacts your energy. It impacts your sense of, you know, are you being disciplined with your diet? Uh, it impacts um, how you, you know, influence other people. If you have a a huge bowl of pasta at lunch, you might not be as energized with your coworkers afterwards, right? So there's so many interesting dimensions of how food impacts people, and yet the mm -hmm. big food companies don't have that direct relationship with their with the consumer. Yeah, you use the word broken, and and I was going to say the same thing. And I've asked many in venture and CPG about this question, I'd like to get your answer: Why and how is a grocery store broken? I I fully agree. Well, I, I think it comes down to that. I think it, the grocery store, which is where 
the, the majority of people are buying their food, they're not actually the ones producing the food, coming up, innovating typically around what are the food items that are being sold. Uh, and so they don't represent the customer. They're not able to innovate and personalize experiences for what consumers need. Uh, and that's part of the reason that there's still a lot of unhealthy options in the grocery store, despite people wanting more healthy options, mm-hmm. the grocery stores have been slow to innovate. And, and we've really tried to cut that out of the supply chain and work directly with our consumers, where 100% of our revenue is direct to consumer. That's critical because we, we get to know our customers. Data is a huge part of the, our business. Personalization is a tremendous part of our business. So, you know, the foods you're going to love are not the same foods that I'm going to love. Um, and, and it's that direct relationship with the customer that's built into the DNA of our business. Yeah, I mean, you go to the the health side, and I agree fully. I think having, you know, three to eight meals a week um, kind of created for you is, is really helpful, and it, it really portions out things correctly and makes you feel a little better about what you're, what you're making. I personally think of it as like an economic thing. Like I think, and also an ecological thing, because I think the grocery store is wasteful, and we throw away so much of what we, we, we shop for, and that's impossible. It's just the way it works. But when you subscribe to it, it could be obviously Hungry Root or Blue Apron, Marley Spoon, and all the other places that have come and gone, you know, you're you're not as wasteful, at least on the on the consumer end. But then you've got on the back end, there's no like, I'm sure your warehouses are way less wasteful than going to ShopRite and looking at what's behind in their dumpsters. So how do you think about that too in terms of the ecological and economic uh, benefits? There's there's so much here. So uh, twenty to thirty percent of what Americans purchase at the grocery store, they throw out at their home. 20 to 30 percent. That is uh, a huge sustainability issue. It's in fact, it's uh, many climate change experts uh, argue that it's the biggest opportunity for us to combat climate change is minimizing food waste at the consumer's home. Yeah. That's that's incredible. 20 to 30 percent means if you spend a uh, hundred dollars at the grocery store, you're actually only consuming $75 worth of food. So you're effectively paying a 25 percent premium on your food because you throw it out, you know, you throw out 20, 30%. So it's a huge problem. It's an overlooked problem. Now, why is this the case? Humans are just not very good at grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. We walk through the store, we see something that looks good. We put it in our cart. We have no plan for what to do with it. And then we throw it out because it spoils. When we go and we sort of recipe shop, you know, we think about, okay, I want to make this recipe for dinner. Well, each item is not sized for the recipe, so we have excess, and then we don't have anything to do with it, and then we throw it out. So humans are not very good at grocery shopping. Now, what is actually very good at grocery shopping is AI. And in, in 2019, we really embraced AI as the core value proposition mm-hmm. of our business, and 70% of what we sell is chosen by our AI for the customer and as a result, they don't they don't waste their food. That's one benefit of it, but that's a very big benefit. Yeah, I mean, the machine learning when you go to the dashboard and and you definitely get your options and you can pivot to you know away from one type of food into another. It's very seamless. Um, I would say too that um, outside of uh, humans being very bad at grocery shopping, food companies and gr- retail are very good at marketing. They're mm-hmm. very good at making grocery stores. Um, inviting places. Not every grocery store is that way, but many are. And of course, the way food is is marketed, the way uh, food is discounted in some ways, um, it, it makes it sometimes impossible to resist. It's a great point. So our individual grocery items are not priced uh, cheaply. 
And yet our customers save money using Hungered. And there's two things they point to. Number one, they're not wasting food anymore. Uh, and number two, they're not impulse purchasing. Impulse purchasing, as you mentioned, these food brands are great at getting us to purchase items that we don't actually necessarily need or want to buy. Uh, and that's a big that's a big uh, challenge for people. Yeah. Well, let me uh, go through your history a bit, and we can go back, and I want you to fill in some blanks. But in 2015, you launched, or I guess in, in that's kind of a round number. You might have been working 14, but you launched as a vegan meal kit, right? You were doing zoodles, essentially like vegetable noodles with sauces, and it was only like five or six skews. You know, it was very limited. And I remember those early days. It was like a lot of like, you know, a zucchini. <laughs> I was like on the zucchini train. And I think I, we were introduced to it by uh, just like interesting vegan cooking. Now you've moved on. I want you to fill in the blanks, but you've moved on. You uh, you went from 60 to 500 SKUs. And now by the end of next year, you're going to have 1,500 SKUs. So that to me, SKUs being the products or the number, the individual unique products. So you're going to be a, a small grocery store, essentially. Hunger Guru is pivoting into the grocery store business. So Ben, like fill in the blanks about your evolution. I might have, I probably missed some things. Um, and just like, let's, let's figure out where you are now, where you're going forward. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great that it sounds like you've seen some of the evolution personally, but, uh, I started the business in 2015. I, I've never thought of the company as a meal kit. I've, I initially yeah. thought of it as a CPG. So a, yeah. a sort of modern, innovative packaged food company. You know, I, I, in fact, I sort of thought about us as the all birds of food mm. or, you know, the new age Chobani. Uh, I had a, have a tremendous amount of respect for brands like Bonza. And I thought about Hungroot as a packaged food company in the same way that Chobani or Bonza are. Uh, and so we had six SKUs. And the initial SKU set were uh, we essentially reinvented the frozen dinner in a fresh format. So the size of the package looked about the same as a frozen dinner. It had these fresh uh, vegetable noodles, as you mentioned, 100% vegetable noodles. These, this was the days where the spiralizer yeah. was – Hot topic. Big, and, tank, big time. And, we, and you know, the problem is we didn't really like to spiralize. Right. We liked to have someone else do it, and Hungry was all and about we, it. We did it. And <laughs> and actually, initially, a lot of it was done by hand and, and you know, full well, sh- uh, sore Wait, you forearms. were doing it probably personally? I was, yeah. yeah that's, you know, uh, obviously, as you start a company, you get you get dirty. And, and uh, you know, we did a lot of spiralizing of vegetables. Uh, you also would get these really great clean ingredient sauces and, and, and proteins and you'd mix it all in a saute pan and, and have a dinner sort of ready in five minutes. That's how we started the business. And pretty quickly it became clear that if you're going to purchase food online, you want more options mm-hmm. than six SKUs. And, and it's, it's the reason that if you go to Chobani.com, you can't buy Chobani. If you go to generalmills.com, it's an investor relations page. It's not an e-commerce page. And it's and it's because consumers don't want to go to one website and purchase their vegetables and another and purchase their sauces and another and purchase their, their ice cream or milk or whatever it is. They want as much as possible a grocery experience. You know, that – in some ways we learned that very early and so we started to expand pretty rapidly our SKU set between 2015 and 2019. Yeah. And we grew from uh, six SKUs to 60 SKUs. At some point you decided you were not going to go vegan. You decided to break through. We, sure. we decided to break through being vegan. You know, we never – we were – we always focused tremendously on health and vegan was a byproduct of that mm-hmm. rather than saying, you know, we really want to be a vegan brand. Got and it. so we we expanded into healthy non-vegan uh, yeah. products. But uh, we grew from six SKUs to 60 SKUs and from 2015 to 2019. We went through a couple pivots in that in, through those years. 
But then 2019 was the big pivot. That's when we decided to be a grocery service. And that's when we decided if we're going to be a grocery service, we got to lean into AI as the way of differentiating us and having that really personalize and shop for the customer. Right. And and here you are uh, doubling that to 1500 by the end of next year. Um, I have a couple questions about the early days. You know, I want to, I love having founders on and talking about just like the grittiness of those early days, but were there any like comical mistakes that you made early um, that just like come to mind and also just some, some big surprises? Comical. Well, definitely in retrospect, they're comical or they're comical. Yeah, of course. But, you know, uh, you're just doing okay right now. At yeah. the time, uh, they, they were probably, you know, pretty painful. Most of the memories that come to mind with that question are from the fulfillment center. Mm-hmm. So, so we were actually, we were actually producing our own food out of this uh, facility in Queens, right next door to Fresh Direct. They've since moved, but uh, right right next door to Fresh Direct, and we had we started with this tiny little kitchen, and then over the course of about two to three years, we took over the entire building. And uh, that was really actually painful. I mean, we, we, we were producing everything from fresh cut vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. uh, noodles. So we had, you know, lines of people spiralizing, if you can imagine how crazy that is. Yeah, not gas operated. Electric <laughs> <No. laughs> operated, yeah. We, we were also creating our, you know, world famous cookie dough, which is still, still with us and is a great product. Oh, we'll and, get to that. Don't worry. And so we were mixing items. We were baking items. We were uh, roasting items. We were chopping items. And then we also uh, were packaging everything. And if you think about most food companies, they specialize in one form of food production, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, they're like a sauce. Like <laughs> right. they're a sauce company, and there's... they have like a tetra pack and a jar, and that's it. And even when they get big, so take Chobani, which oh, has yeah. gone big, it's it still they focus on derivatives of the core product, <laughs> right? Right. And we didn't take that approach. And the challenges that arose from that was it just it, it, tremendous complexity and um, – and that was really challenging. So the memories, the comical memories are, are mm. of us, you know, crammed into a kitchen together late nights or early mornings. Uh, and, you know, the whole place smelling like garlic or whatever yeah. it was that we were producing that Late day. at night in Queens. Were there any products that just did not hit at all that just like you thought, oh, man, this is going to be great and this didn't hit? Oh, yeah. There, there's been a ton. There's been a ton. The, the, it's been more the products that did hit. Yeah, though have those are the more the memories. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you, like you, you had like some kind of candy, like almond that it didn't hit, but then obviously the cookie dough. And let's get to that. I mean, I remember I was a cookie dough subscriber fan for many years, and for whatever reason, somebody hit the X in my household, and we didn't get cookie doughs for. Uh, we haven't had it in a couple of years. And oh my god! I was yeah. like, doing research, and for this interview, I'm like, oh my god. Not just the cookie dough, but the brownie batter. So, listener, listen, this is a plant-based, correct? Yes. It's plant-based uh, cookie dough. But in terms of um, texture, um, it is unique. It is – the mouthfeel is, like, exceptional. How did you come up with that? So, the cookie dough is an exceptional product. Yep. And I, I as it's, it's the best cookie dough on the market. I can say that confidently. We're not in traditional retail today. We will be at some point yeah. uh, because it's the best cookie dough on the market. So – there's four SKUs. The the one that's been with us since 2015 is our almond chickpea cookie dough. Yeah. Uh, and there's three main ingredients. It's blended chickpeas, blended with almond butter, and chocolate chips. 
which sounds crazy. And you know, we don't necess- we don't really necessarily market it that way because it doesn't really even yeah. sound that appetizing. Because I mean, it's like blended chickpeas, like <laughs> out of the can or out of the bag. It, it's it's yeah. you know, blended chickpeas with blended almond butter and chocolate chips. Yeah, yeah. Now it obviously has uh, you know stuff like vanilla and mm-hmm. you know some baking soda to help it bake. Uh, you can eat it raw. It's fantastic eating raw, and you can bake it. And if you bake it, they turn into soft cookies. Uh, there, I, I recommend baking it. By ben, the way, Ben, I've never baked it. Uh, like, never got that far. Like, yo, like, listen, like, I never actually never got that far. A lot of our customers are the same way. <laughs> you got to try baking it, though. The baked cookies are are just phenomenal. And and so that's and and that's essentially the recipe for all of the four skews. So we have a black bean brownie batter, which yep. is instead of chickpeas, it's black beans. Uh, we have a uh, um, a white bean with peanut butter, uh, and they're all they're all great. But th- those have been they really represent the brand in a lot of ways because they're really delicious, they're really healthy, and they keep people with us. They keep they keep customers yeah. ordering. No, it's and and like black bean brownie does not <laughs> ring uh, like flow off the tongue, but you know you try it once and you're like you're hooked. It's I guess like back to my original question too, and and. It's like my enthusiasm is is a little elevated here, but I, I really do enjoy Hungry Root, and we 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 make the food. I mean, we found out about Kevin's from you guys. Mm-hmm. Kevin's just was sold. I mean, huge success story, mm-hmm. Kevin's. But but um, let me ask you about the, like getting people to cook. Like I think people enjoy this style of cooking because it takes a lot of the planning out of it, and like lets people. And your 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 recipe writing is very simple too. So let me. Was that an original uh, strategy just to make it very simple? And, like, how are your customers talking to you about actually making the food, cooking? Great questions. Since day one, there's there's been three components of our value proposition. Healthy, convenient, and discovery. Uh, that has not changed over the eight-year period. What's changed is how we deliver that value proposition. And so uh, we really leaned into recipes when in 2019 when we also leaned into being into selling grocery items. So for the for the listener who hasn't experienced the product, we each week we sell 600 unique grocery items spanning everything from fresh produce to uh, premium proteins to clean ingredient sauces to snacks and desserts and drinks and beverage. You know mm-hmm. uh, what what you would imagine going at a uh, getting at a, at a grocery store. We're small, you know, 600 unique SKUs. Uh, Trader Joe's is one of the smallest selections of grocery stores, and they have 4,000 yeah. SKUs. So we're yeah, still and Costco's got like 40,000. Right. Yeah. The, the, uh, the typical grocery store is 40,000. Yeah, 40,000. Yeah. So we're small, but we are a grocery store in the sense that what we're what we're truly selling from a food perspective are grocery items. But then we have, you know, it, so the whole premise is that we go and we get to know you, and we essentially do your grocery shopping for you. And if someone came and they gave you just a basket full of groceries without any recipes, it's mm-hmm. not that helpful. You, the, uh, you know, the majority of what we use our grocery items for is to cook recipes. And so we have a really important recipe layer to the service. We recommend recipes that help you to use up all the groceries yeah. that we're sending you. Uh, that's always been really important. Now, 80% of our recipes are un- cooked in under uh, 20 minutes. So they're yeah. they're easy. They're simple. A couple steps, couple ingredients. Yeah, it's a really good point, and it kind of distinguishes you from a lot of the other services that are are a little more um, involved. I mean, this is like to use a weird term, like semi homemade cooking. It's mm-hmm. definitely and and Ben, what you just said really resonates with me. It's it's how do you use the stuff you're buying, um, but not necessarily having to cook from scratch. Because I think we at our household will cook from 
from scratch like once or twice a week and we'll do like a recipe from a cookbook or if I'm developing a recipe, we'll go like, we'll go hard. But obviously that takes like an hour. But like with Hungry Root um, and other competitors out there, you know, it's it's using these pre-cooked proteins. But also what I like about it is it allows home cooks to innovate a little bit. Like we can throw chili crisp into something. We can throw coconut milk into something. And I think um, it's interesting that you say that it's this idea of like what to do with it and giving everyone a roadmap because I feel like we need a roadmap at the grocery store level. Absolutely. Why why aren't they doing that? What's going on? Well, the reason they're not doing it is because of physical constraints. So, you know, the the leg up that we have or that any online grocer has is uh, digitally you can personalize the experience. And so uh, when you walk into the Hunger Root digital grocery store, you see items grouped together to make a recipe. That's just physically not possible uh, in a traditional retail yeah. store. We've had guests on. I think Emily Schilt from Pop Up and others talked about the layout of a grocery store is just so it does it's backwards. It should be based on what goes together to cook recipes, not traditional. Um, I mean, I have to ask: uh, Would you would you go IRL? Would you go physical? We I don't think we would. No, I, I think that we would uh, sell some of our really unique uh, yeah. proprietary products in traditional like grocery as a stores, CPG product. as a CPG product, right? But we wouldn't open up our own our own stores. Yeah. You know, we effectively have we have three fulfillment warehouses where we fulfill all of our orders for the entire U.S. Um, uh, across the country, and they are essentially grocery stores. They're they're warehousing grocery inventory, but they're optimized for an at home delivery. Uh, you know, people aren't walking around picking out items and putting them into carts. Uh, it's it's semi automated, mm-hmm. and so. That's effectively our grocery store. Yeah, yeah. It's it's behind the scenes. Yeah, essentially. exactly. Yeah. I mean, the brand is strong, though, and I would imagine there are some some folks uh, out there who would think maybe you will open a physical grocery store and, and, and use that brand equity to bring people in, but it doesn't make sense. You, you, you've, you've, you're disputing the grocery store. Do you, do you go to grocery stores yourself? I do occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I uh, – so I – my wife and I, we have two young kids, yeah. and we live in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I'll go into Publix, and I'll get um, milk for our kids or a gallon of orange juice, uh, sometimes, you know, a dozen of eggs. Um, we use Instacart occasionally mm-hmm. uh, for sort of similar similar reasons. Either Either we actually need something, you know, that day or in the next hour or two. Uh, or we just need, you know, sort of bulk, more bulk items. Mm-hmm. And Hunger It's not looking to solve that. What we are, what we are looking to solve, and, and what we are solving today is being the customer's primary grocery store. So mm-hmm. for eighty-two percent of our customers, they they are spending more at Hunger than anywhere else for their food. And that's important because that allows us to really get to know them, their preferences, and do a better job of, of selecting groceries and, and recipes for them. For our listeners, how is your pricing tiered? How does that work exactly? So the economics of delivering to a consumer's home all comes down to average order value, meaning if you order $50 worth of food versus $150 worth of food, it costs about the same to fulfill those two orders. And so what we do is we heavily incentivize our customers to order large amounts from us. So the average customer gets uh, spends $125 on a delivery. So they're really getting their, their core groceries for mm. their week. Uh, and it allows us to price the, the 
uh, offering very well because they're ordering a lot. Uh, and it's also more sustainable. Yeah, definitely more sustainable. And we, we talked about the waste at the grocery store level. And just also thinking like the way we cook with Hungry Root, and it's it's pretty modern, I feel. It's like we like supplement with the farmer's market. It's like exactly we want to have the proteins and have like four or five servings of proteins, interesting products, and we'll get to the discovery of new products. And then we have our core um you know, our farmer's market items that we want to cook fresh or like whatever we're innovating. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually the same way. We'll, we'll supplement hungry with farmer's market during the summer yeah. as well. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm down. So let's talk about the product discovery. Um, interestingly, uh, my friend Mirwan Arani runs uh, Spice Walla with, uh, with a couple other of, um, of my friends. And, and I was like pleasantly hmm. surprised to see Spice Walla in a hungry box. How do you find your products? You must have an innovation team yourself personally. Do you do you scout? Uh, do you go to the trade shows? Because like one thing I like about Hungry Root, and it's also why I like Foxtrot and Pop Up Grocer, is I like seeing smaller brands elevated, especially brands run by people um, with diversity in mind. And I think Hungry Root's doing that. And um, how do you find your products? It's a major differentiator for us. It's really important. Uh, Spice Wallace, first, just since you <laughs> yeah. mentioned them, we were huge fans. Uh, some of our team members had uh, relationships there and, and knew that they were, uh, you know, just an innovative, great company. Yeah. And so we were really happy to do a co-brand with them uh, and, and we're happy to find them. Uh, so, you know, it's funny, I was actually speaking with my um, vice president of sourcing and supply chain earlier today, and we were talking about our food assortment and where it's going to go over the next couple of years. And it it just really hit me, and I shared this with her, that a huge amount of our success is attributable to her and her team and how thoughtful they've been in terms of expanding our SKU assortment. She's been with the company over five years at this mm-hmm. point. And so, you know, we think of ourselves as sort of a Whole Foods and Trader Joe's combination of the two. We we have our root standard, which is there's a hundred different criteria you have to meet to be oh, on cool. root. Nice. Uh, and it's like tastes good is definitely like up there, but maybe not everything. Uh, well, <laughs> actually, you know, the root standard is 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 even doesn't even include. The tasting, yeah. it's actually like more like before they even get it, to the It's like all. ingredients that are not allowed. It's uh, nutritionals. Um, it's inspired by Whole Foods. Yeah. It's inspired by Whole Foods. And that's sort of where we think about Whole Foods as a comparison for our food assortment. One of the things people really value about Hunger is you don't have to read the labels. You know that it's going to be good for you. You know it's going to be clean ingredients. Uh, and, and so that's really critical Always staying on market trends is, is, you know, I think that's where the sourcing and supply chain is sort of being experts uh, comes in. But then the data piece is critical. You know, we, we have a tremendous amount of data because not only are our customers ordering groceries from us, they're ordering recipes. So we actually know how they're using these grocery items. We know that sauce they love with broccoli, they hate with Brussels sprouts. And it allows us to innovate in interesting ways because we, it yeah. allows us to identify gaps in the market. Yeah. So we have two product lines that we have innovated really pretty significantly. One is the cookie doughs, the four skews of the cookie doughs I mentioned. That's, um, you know, the cookie doughs on their own is about 3 to 4% of our, of our entire revenue. Wow. Then, wow. 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 <laughs> right. So that's like a, that's like, you know, what's your revenue right now? You were saying like 180? And well, in the first half of this year, we did 182 yeah. million. So that's first half. So wait, that's a pretty like nice cookie dough business. The on cookie dough own. business is a real business <laughs> on its own. Now our sauces, our sauces are about seven to 8% of our entire yeah. revenue. 
And with sauces, we have about 25 SKUs. Yeah. And that's where we've really used the data and the insights to innovate because we identify, hey, we don't have a great use for this protein and this produce together. What's a sauce that would work? We scour the market. We don't find one. And so we go create it ourselves. Yeah, it's um, – I shout out to my wife, Tamara. She's she's a big, like, tahini um, fan and miso fan, like your miso sauces. I'm, I'm actually not less of a sauce guy for the hungry. I, I'm more – I go uh, I go kind of, like, like plain with – I make my own sauces. Hmm. But, but it's smart that you say about sauces because I think it's like Molly Baz thinks everything uh, needs a sauce or everything's better with a sauce. And I fully agree with her, and I think the hungry does that. Yeah. I'm, I'm that way. My wife is the no sauce in the family, but yeah. uh, I put – I put some of our sauces on pretty much everything. No, it's cool. And again, listener, that you've made it this far. I mean, my enthusiasm is legit. This is obviously not paid. And I think it, it speaks highly to like how food and cooking, if you if you hit on something, um, there's real excitement, right? When you hit on like a method or a cookbook or, and I think hunger for me, I connect with it. And, and it's Ben, it's cool to hear your story. Thank you so much. And just on that point, I think that gets back to why I started the company is food is deeply personal. It's deeply emotional. And, you know, when you – I think if, if, the, if you have had the experience where the food that you eat fundamentally makes you feel better on a regular basis, that's exciting. That's mm-hmm. meaningful. And I think that's where a lot of this passion comes from. Yeah. Absolutely. A couple more questions. Where do you see grocery shopping in 10 years from now? I mean, that's a that's a long time decade and, and AI has been um, at, you know, the root pun intended of your hmm. business since 2019. AI is, of course, huge news now. So where do you see it going in 10 years? We are very big believers in, in an AI, in, in AI driven future in groceries. So today, hunger is at the forefront of using AI in the grocery industry. I can confidently say that. That's based on really one core metric, which is that 70% of what we sell is chosen by our algorithm for the customer. Uh, and, and the result of that is they save a tremendous amount of time. They, uh, it's one less thing to worry about. They're able to accomplish health objectives better than they would on their own. They discover new food. There's tremendous operational benefits in terms of minimized mm-hmm. food waste, as, as you touched on. Mm-hmm. So we are very small compared to other grocery stores. So we see us trying to really pioneer that uh, use case in grocery. And it's it's not easy because there's the technical component to it, which is actually building these algorithms so that they work effectively. Uh, and by the way, as you in, in expand the product assortment, they always have to continuously evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're, we're launching smoothies, our own line of, of smoothies in the next couple of months. Well, the algorithm today doesn't sell smoothies. Yeah. So we have to adjust it to be able to effectively sell smoothies. Yeah, you have to enter like five new SKUs into the into the algorithm and a lot of error, more more trial and error. Right? Trial and error. There's also changes to the user experience, which is yeah. which are critical. Uh, yeah, there's changes to the pricing. Yeah. Smo- you know, so um, without getting, you know, too detailed, yeah. but but the, the when people sign up for Hungry they are signing up for a certain amount of food across their day part, so a certain amount of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and sort of throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the day. Well, smoothies can kind of fit, you know, breakfast, yeah. lunch, right. throughout the day, but they're not priced the same as a snack. You know, like a, if, they're, if you say I like smoothies throughout my day and I like chips also, mm-hmm. well, chips cost a lot less than smoothies. So, yeah. so really sort of dynamic, smart, thoughtful pricing uh, so there's a lot of different dimensions to making this model work. And I think that's part of the reason we're the only ones that yeah. have the model. 
But uh, we believe that this is a better way to grocery shop and we want to pioneer this way of grocery shopping and, and hopefully in 10 years we're, we, we are doing that. Yeah, I mean, and Instacart too, as well as, as use machine learning um, to, to predict uh, and using like, you know, traditional retail, they're just like a layer of technology and you're, you're doing everything. But I guess like just to follow up, like what, what is it going to be like then in 10 years shopping? If, if, if you could predict like the way we shop, will, will some of these 40,000 SKU grocery stores um, be fully f- pushed off the face of the earth? Will we be smaller? I mean, I, again, I mentioned pop-up and I mentioned Foxtrot, um, heavily curated, smaller, experiences, maybe more experiential. I know you mentioned Publix, which does it better than anyone in terms of the experience. What do you predict? Well, we spend a ton of time thinking about the digital landscape. On the on the retail, uh, physical retail side, I do think that they'll become more experiential. And also, uh, as the percentage of sales goes to online, increases going, going to online, then I think the physical stores are going to focus on what they do best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's still really small, though. So online online yeah. grocery spend is 10%, expected to be 20%. A growth in, is in, incredible. It's incredible and expected to double over the next four to five years. That's incredible. That's incredible growth. Now, if you imagine that, let's say it doubles again, which would be pretty crazy, in the following five years. So to your 10-year scenario, grocery is, uh, you know, the majority of grocery spend is still offline. So I think it's really important to for that we recognize that the offline grocery experience is for the foreseeable future, if not ever, forever, is going to play a very important role in how people grocery shop and how people get their food. Uh, in terms of the online landscape, that's where, um, you know, we're doing something unique that we believe in and we're just going to focus on it and just try to, you know, yeah. execute. Yeah, try to, I mean, 1,500 SKUs is no joke and I'm sure you're going to get, then you, then you go to like the 4,000 SKUs and you're like getting into Whole Foods <laughs> right. territory and you're basically Whole Foods online. Did you try the new Erewhon app? I've not no. They just launched an app. I tried it this morning. It was it was weird. I mean, it's only for their eleven retail outlets. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, last question before we get to the final question: um, Do you read food media? Do you read cookbooks? Like, how do you stay engaged with trends? You mentioned your innovation team um, is always looking at trends. How do you stay uh, in, in tapped in? Well, I'm a fan of taste, obviously. Oh man, I you know wasn't asking for that. Wasn't asking for that. You know, I uh, I, I I look at the New York Times. I think the diversity of their content, the beautiful food photography, mm-hmm. uh, and just the expertise is is very compelling. Uh, you know, but candidly, what I get most excited about is looking at the internal research we generate. We, we and it, there's two sources. One is our, our internal research team that is looking at trends and, and externally uh, across the industry and conferences or, or just uh, third party data sources. But then the other is our internal data sources and seeing what type of movement are we seeing in certain products and why uh, or certain recipes and why mm-hmm. and, and who who is it really resonating with? You know, you launch something like when we launch these three new smoothies. So they're going to be our own, you know, unique formulations. They're really great products. One of them is an acai berry smoothie. Yeah. This you got to be in the acai game if you're yeah. going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other is this mango orange. You know, the mango orange has like 36 grams of sugar in it, which initially I, I had a negative reaction to. Uh it's all obviously it's no added sugar, but mango is a lot of yeah. sugar and, and orange juice has a lot of sugar. Now, so who does that really resonate with and, and how are they using it? Are they having it for dessert? 
um, those are the types of questions that we gain really unique insights in mm-hmm. um, because of our model. And, and that's kind of, that to me is like the fun yeah. uh, sort of insights. And you've got like a nice scale too. So you've got like a lot of like data coming in every single day. Are you just like tapped into like a dashboard that's in like real time checking stuff out? Uh, you know, I used to be. Of course. I've, every I've, founder has to know the real time data. Yeah, yeah. It's, I used to hourly, you know, check new customers. Um, oh man. That's like a different type of drug. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> it really impacts whether you have a good day or a bad day. Yeah, and so I've I've stopped doing that as we've grown. Uh, it's more now when when we sort of have uh, aggregated data, you yeah. know, synthesized in such a way that we're able to tell a story around it. That's when I really engage. I mean, what's your what's your like life like your day to day? You live in outside Charlotte, but you're in New York like every you know couple months. Like you're the CEO, it's growing. There's a lot of you know, labor, we can, we can talk about labor costs. We can talk about, of course, the cost of goods. You know, we look at your grocery bill. It's, it's just up, up, up. How do you, like, how do you handle it all? Like, what's your day-to-day like? You know, the day-to-day, well, first of all, we have two young kids, two, two-year-old and four-year-old. Yep. So it's That's just, day-to-day. Yeah, it's just dominated by them. Um, you know, the, we're, so we're, we're a remote first workforce. Yeah. Uh, we hire from all over the country. I think that's a competitive advantage and we have an incredible team of uh, talented people and, and, you know, a lot of them that don't live by New York, we, uh, we wouldn't otherwise be able to attract. We have a, we're headquartered in New York, so we have a beautiful office on, on 22nd street, but, um, I clearly don't live, yeah. you know, in driving distance from that. Um, we're very thoughtful about getting together as a team. We get together the entire company once a year. We get uh, smaller groups get together a couple times a year. Um, and then most teams, um, uh, you know, every Tuesday we sort of – the office is, has a relatively large number of people locally. I think the in-person relationships are critical. So when I'm in town, I really focus on, uh, on – uh, on investing there versus sort of, you know, being behind my computer. I don't even bring my computer. Uh, um, so, you know, typical day I'm working from home and, uh, you know, I I personally really prefer to try to not have scheduled a lot of scheduled meetings. Yeah. I'm a believer that if I have nothing to do, then the most important things I need to do rise to the surface and then I go do those versus if you have a lot that, you know, that's scheduled, then, um, you just get you're focused on that, and and sometimes you'll miss other things that might be more important. Uh, so Pressing that, things, things that are like of the of the second versus of the hour, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's how I'd characterize. Yeah, busy. Um, okay. On this is taste. We ask guests about their discerning tastes. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Then the best dessert. Hungry's almond chickpea cookie dough. I, I knew that was coming. The best vegetable. Parsnip. Oh wow! Uh, what do you? How do you do it? Puree? Do you do it roasted? Uh, roasted. Love it with with steak, but just in general, roasted parsnip. I think is like great. that. Very rooty. It yeah. Fits your, fits yeah. Your brand. Uh, the most underrated piece of kitchen equipment. You know, I'm going to go with the blender, which probably in some ways is relatively highly rated. But I use the blender pretty much every morning to make a smoothie. I think yeah. the blender is just, and, and my wife uses it to make soups. It's very versatile. Are you like a Vitamix guy? Are you do Ninja? What's your Vitamix? Yeah, yeah. You got you got the you got the Corvette. You're a C. You got to do that one. <laughs> Corvette. What a dated reference. I, uh, you're, you're Mercedes. Um, the most overrated piece of kitchen equipment. The most overrated piece of kitchen equipment. I'm going to go with a sharp knife, though. I don't have a good reason for that. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, you can cook with, you can definitely cook with dull and half-sharpened knives. I, I agree. You're right. You don't have to sharpen every day. Uh, you know, chefs in my life are going to hate me. Hmm. Your favorite national grocery chain? I'd say Trader Joe's. Yeah. 
Your favorite local quirky grocery chain. We have an incredible farmer's market that's around all year long, yeah. and, and I would consider that kind of a, a little grocery chain. It's very, it has a lot of options. So Are you from North Carolina? My dad grew up in North Carolina. Nice. So you, you have a little I mean, year-round farmer's markets, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, your favorite New York City restaurant right now? Gramercy Tavern, but sitting at the bar. Yeah, definitely a good call. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Appetites by uh, um, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah, the, the actual the cookbook that he did. Really, really good call. Really, really good call. I like that one a lot. We don't talk about that one enough. We talk about his, his long-form hmm. narrative nonfiction, but not his cookbook. It's great. Your recent food brand discovery. We have a great new product called Mind Blown, which is hmm. a plant-based crab cake. Oh, okay. On Hunger. And it's it really is pretty exciting. It tastes like a crab cake. It's it has I, I believe they even use sea, seaweed as part of the ingredients. I might be that wrong on that, but to get it to really feel and taste like a crab cake and it's entirely plant-based. It's pretty special. It makes sense that it could work because if you if you're putting old bay or a type of old bay seasoning, you've got the texture right and you've got breadcrumbs and some kind of um well, you don't have eggs though, so it's plant-based. That's kind of a feat. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. It's one of those that you kind of you're skeptical. You're very. I'm very skeptical. I mean, you have to really love crab cakes. Yeah. To do plant based version, but I think is it selling well? It's selling great. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. like it's a really nice promise. Last one. Your favorite sandwich? Turkey Reuben. Oh, great! So you like the turkey, not the not the beef version. Well, you know, it's funny. Turkey Reuben kind of uh, sums up the hungry brand. It's it's indulgent. In the you know, in, yeah. in the Thousand Island dressing, but yep. turkey is you know healthy version of it. Leaner, that, yeah, yeah, more responsible protein. I like it. Ben McCain, thank you for joining Taste. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 